Abundance of love Abundance of grace Now to that cross You took my place Oh God You paid my ransom My ransom Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people. Now, here's Pastor Scott. Let's, let's look to the Word tonight. Um, in Luke chapter 22, verse 31. And we're just going to do a little Bible study. Listen, here's what Wednesday night's about. And really, it's every service here, uh, mostly. I'm going to read the Bible, and I'm going to try to pull some things out of it to encourage you to want to go home and read more of it. I want to try to pique your interest. We don't have time for me to exhaust any passage of Scripture here. But I want to read to you and just walk you through how I study the Bible because I believe that God has given me an anointing to do what I asked him to do, what I believe he called me to do, which is what Ezra did. He stood up before the people, he read the Scripture, and he caused it to make sense. So let's read the Scripture tonight let God cause it to make sense. In Luke twenty-two thirty-one, the Scripture says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon. Indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me, deny three times that you know me. I want to talk to you tonight from a Bible study titled, God Knows What He Is Doing. If you don't hear anything else tonight, get that in your spirit. God knows what He's doing. Pray with me, God. Thank you for being all-knowing. Thank you for giving us life and strength. Thank you, God, for letting us be clothed and in our right mind and in your church tonight. Father, I pray that you'd teach us now from your word. Father, I pray for our nation, God, that you bring healing, Lord. God, I pray that you would... Let us move past the, 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 the trap of division and love each other like you've called us to in Jesus' name. Amen. God knows what he's doing. We're going to work through these, these five verses, and we're going to try to see these four verses, and we're going to try to see what God has to say to us tonight. Look at verse 31. And the Lord said, all right, here's the setup. Now, hopefully you've been reading Luke. Every month, I take a book of the Bible, and I try to read it through as many times as I can during the course of that month. Not speed reading it, but, but just reading it as, as part of my daily devotion over and over and over again to get it down into my spirit. And this is near the end of the Gospel of Luke. And Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. And he's been with these guys, these 12 guys that we call apostles or disciples, Simon, Peter, Andrew, James, his brother, John, Philip, Thomas, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, Judas, and Bartholomew. He's been with these 12 dudes, some for 18 to 34 months, somewhere in that period, um, off and on. It wasn't just to come follow me, and they were with him for three years. Jesus did some public ministry on his own. These people came, but these were people that had been close to Jesus for a couple of years, and they were his disciples. They had watched him do miracles. They had seen a lot of stuff at his hand. And he's getting ready with some final words to them. Now, here's the thing. You don't know when the person you love typically is telling you the last things. 
I, I have counseled so many people and stood over so many coffins and heard so many people say, I wish the last conversation we had would have went different. You don't always know when the last conversation you're going to have with somebody is. So you need to learn how to talk to people. You need to learn how to listen to people. You need to learn how to love people that God put in your life. My mom said all to me all the time, send me my flowers while I'm living. And we need to have that kind of mindset. Now, I don't know if she wants flowers at her grave, but she's saying, love me while I'm here. I talked to too many people that told me their last conversation with their mom, with their dad, was in anger. That their last communication with their child was in anger. You don't know. See, Jesus was trying to prepare these people that he loved uh, for his leaving. And he, he prepared them for his absence. And he's telling them what's about to happen. And so Jesus is speaking here, and he says, Simon, Simon. Now, I'm not going to take time to get into it tonight, but if you want to Google double enunciation of deity, Anytime God says something twice, that's something you need to pay attention to. There's different reasons. I've heard some theologians say anytime God says something twice, he's cutting covenant. That's not always the case. Any, I've heard other theologians say anytime God says something twice, it's a show of intimacy. That's not always the case, but that is the case here. He said, Simon, Simon, if your mother, if you come from a house like mine, your mother calls you by your first and middle name, that's trouble, okay? If So, it, it, you know, there, there's that. But if you love somebody, you might have, you, you might call them sweet baby, sugar pie, honey bunch. You might call them some anything. It's a show of intimacy when he calls him. He doesn't just call him by a name. He pronounces his name twice. And psychologists will tell you that for most people, the most beautiful sound that they'll ever hear is someone they care about saying their name. And so there's an intimacy here implied because Jesus calls him by his name twice. He singles him out. They're in a group setting. And he doesn't just recognize him and call him by name. He calls him by his name twice. And it's a show of deep love and affection that he has. And I want you to know God has a deep love for you. If you study the scripture, you'll find out that when you get to heaven, you're going to be called the same thing you were called here. The Bible says when you get to heaven, we'll be known even as we're known. So you wonder what, what, they gonna, what you're going to call mom in heaven? Mom. You wonder what, what you're going to call Steve in heaven? Steve. How, how do I know that? Because they still call Abraham, Abraham. They still call Isaac, Isaac. And they still call Jacob, Jacob. And the Bible says you're going to know you're going to be known in heaven the same way you were known here, and I think that's cool. I think it's cool that we're going to know each other in heaven. But if you continue to study the Bible, the Scripture says that the Lord is going to give you a new name that he knows for you. So one day, you, you might really love your name, but one, one day God's going to give you a pet name, and he's going to get to call you by, by that name, and it's going to be special to you. But the Lord loves you, and he knows you intimately. You need to understand that. The Bible says he knows every thought in your head. He knows everything that you've done and everything that you're going to do. And here's the cool thing. He still loves you. Now, if everybody in this room knew everything that you had done, they might not want to sit close to you. If everybody, in this room, if everybody you came here with knew everything about you, they might not want to leave here with you. 
But God not only knows everything that you've done, he knows everything that you're going to do. And he still loves us and he still cares about us. And I think that is so awesome. The forgiveness that God has for us, it's otherworldly. It, 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 it's, it's not natural. It's supernatural. The forgiveness that God has for us is, is not something that is comprehensible by human thought. you got to let God give you a realization, wow, he loves me beyond my sin. Because you can say that you've loved people unconditionally. You can say that you've loved your children unconditionally. And you maybe have loved your kids beyond some of the foolishness that they've done in their life. But nobody's ever loved as perfectly as God. And God loves you in spite of everything. And he is telling Peter about a big mess up that Peter's going to have. And in the midst of telling him that, it's not a scold, it's not a put down, it's not a stomp, it's not a blast. He's not putting him on blast. He's not calling him out in front of people. He's telling him something intimately in love. And I want you to know God loves you even when you're messing up. Because God knows what he's doing. And I'll go ahead and give you some of the punchline right now. You're going to mess up. You're going to do some heinous stuff. You're going to do some stuff that make you wonder, why did I do that? Why did I say that? Why did I act that way? And you, you might be thinking, Pastor, what kind of Christianity do you believe in? The Bible kind. You believe Christians have issues, Pastor? Yes, I do. You believe that as once we, I've met people say, well, I don't believe once somebody gets saved that they would act like that. You study the Bible, you'll find out how people are heroes of the faith. People that were closest to God acted. And, and, and God loves us through our foolishness. One of the things I love most about God is he really means it when he says, I love you. He's not changing. He's not giving up. He, his, his love is eternal. And Jesus is showing great love to Simon when he calls him by his name twice in front of all these people. And he says, indeed, comma. If you come to this church for any length of time at all, you're going to learn how to study the Bible. And you're going to hear me say consistently that you got to pay attention to the punctuation. It's there for your perfection. The punctuation in literature is designed to help you understand it, to take it in bite-sized pieces so you can digest it. Don't just gloss over what you're reading. Read it with comprehension. And to read it with comprehension, you have to pay attention to the punctuation. So Jesus says, Simon, Simon, exclamation point. All right, so we covered the double enunciation. And then he says, indeed. Comma. Comma is supposed to give you cause to pause. Stop and think. There's something big coming. Indeed. That, that in 2016, when you tell somebody for real though, you, you, you're saying something that you want them to get. This, this ain't just talking. This is for real though. And he's saying, indeed, this is, this is something I'm, I'm trying to lay down for you right now. Satan has asked for you. See, between those punctuations, you, you got to see that there are phrases inside there, and you need to take the Bible one phrase at a time and, and let God show you what it's saying. And here's what Jesus is telling Peter, whose name Simon Peter. Satan has asked for you. Now, one of the things that we've learned about the Bible is that God gave us these stories for our example. That's what the scripture says, that he gave us these stories for our example. God gives us these examples because he never changes. And the enemy never changes. There's one strategy that God has and there's one strategy the devil has. And if you can figure those out, you can be successful in your Christianity. And 
if Satan asked for Peter, and literally in the Greek it says, and in some translations you'll read that it says he's asked for each of you. Okay? The devil's after people that follow Jesus. Now, that's not a popular moniker. That's not a, that's not a popular thing to know. And some people, if you don't love the Lord, if you're unsaved, that reality should cause you to think, well, I don't ever want to follow Jesus then. People are falsely saying, come to Jesus and all your troubles will go away. You come to Jesus, you're going to get some new trouble. You're going to get some people mad at you. You're going to get some, you see, people who are unsaved, the devil don't have to target them. They're already on the wrong side of the fence. It's when you get on the right side of the fence that the enemy puts a bullseye on you. And the same way that he wants to have Simon, Peter, he wants to target everybody that's following Jesus closely. You ever start following Jesus closely, that's what we call getting on the front lines of warfare. It's the people on the front lines. It's the people trying to do something for the Lord that are taking all the bullets, taking all the darts, taking all the arrows. You think, well, I'm, I'm just, well, then I don't want to get close to God. I want to just stay back in the drift, not if you love him. No, real soldiers want to be up there special forces style. Real soldiers want to be up there all in style. Real, real soldiers want to say, I'm, I'm in this thing to win this thing. and Let, let me let me carry the ball i'll show you how to do this and simon was on the front line and jesus said satan has asked for you <laughs> satan has asked for you think about it bible study satan has a satan is asking god for peter well if you read if you read your bible or you've been in church long enough you might remember in the Old Testament, that the Bible says that there was a day when Satan was standing before God accusing the brethren. And God said to him, have you considered my servant Job? See, sometimes the devil will come and, and say, God, uh, can I pick on Angelique this week? But sometimes God will just tell the devil, hey, why don't you try Angelique this week? Why would it be that way? Why would we have these tests? Because your father loves to see you honor him in the middle of struggle. Your test is there to build your testimony. God wants to build a message out of your mess. And sometimes the devil asks permission. And sometimes God gives the devil permission. But either way, I want you to get this. The devil can't do nothing that God don't allow. People are like, the devil's been messing with me. The devil's trying to mess up my marriage. The devil's trying to mess up my money. The devil's trying to mess up my health. Listen, the devil, the devil don't have ultimate say over you. The devil don't have ultimate power. God has ultimate power. He can't do anything without permission. Say, well, why would God let Satan mess with Peter? Because you grow stronger. You grow stronger in your trials. And other people get to see you succeed. And it gives them hope. And it builds your testimony and your strength as a Christian. He says, Satan has asked for you. The normal question at that point, ask for me for what? And then Jesus tells him. That he may sift you as wheat. Now that don't mean a whole lot to us in 2016 living on the west side of Jacksonville. We don't really sift wheat. Well, I don't know. Some of y'all old school cooks, you making biscuits. You, you, you got one of those things. Anybody ever have one of those little round things that you crank with the handle to, to, to get those lumps out of, of your flour? And young people are like, I don't know nothing about what he's talking about. I buy biscuits at Popeye's. I like how you're thinking. 
But we don't sift wheat the way they sifted wheat. But it's a similar process. There's a screen. There's wheat. And there's a bunch of turning. See, here's, what they, here's how they would sift wheat in, in Jesus' day. They would take a big box with a screen in it. And they would put the wheat in it. And they would shake it violently back and forth. And throw it up in the air and shake it violently. And the good stuff would fall out, and, and the trash would be kept trapped in the screen. Okay? So sifting is a violent process. Say violent. It's a shaking. It's a stirring. It's a throwing your world upside down and putting you through the ringer. Don't this sound fun? Don't that make you just want to run out and say, I want to serve God so I can be in the sift box. I want the devil to come sift me. Listen, he's already doing it. You don't have to think, oh, I don't want that to happen in my life. He's already doing it. Whether you recognize it as him sifting you or life just happening to you, this is the process that believers go through. We're going to be sifted. You say, well, Pastor, that don't encourage me. Well, then listen to verse 32. We get there. But, Jesus said, now, anytime somebody says, but, there's a transition coming. And it's either going to get better or it's going to get worse. Jesus said, but I have prayed for you. Come. But I have prayed for you. Well, if you read the Bible, you understand what God does for one, he does for all. So if he prayed for Peter, guess who else he prayed for? He prayed for us. And that ought to be good news for you. In Hebrews 7, 25, the scripture says, therefore, he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. The scripture says Jesus is able to save to the uttermost. I like what I heard one preacher say, from the guttermost to the uttermost. He can save you from any place in life if you will come to him. Because, that's what that word sense means, because he always lives to make intercession for them. What's this saying? Jesus is always praying for you. I want you to get a picture of this in your mind. Jesus is in heaven talking to God on your behalf. Why? Because he knows your world is getting shook. Anytime you feel like you've been violently shook, thrown up in the air, tossed, thrown for a loop, whatever you want to call it, you need to recognize that I'm being sifted. But I know that my God, my God is praying for me. I know Jesus is talking to the Father on my behalf. He, he said in verse 32, but I have prayed for you. And this, listen to what he prayed, that your faith should not fail. God does not want your faith to fail in your test. And listen, some people succeed and some people fail. And you got to make a decision. Do you want to succeed or do you want to fail? The reality is everybody who loves their father wants their dad to be proud of them. Everybody who loves their father, they don't want to take a bad report card home to dad. They, 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 they want to pass the test and let dad know I did my best and this, this is what I'm doing and I do it because of you. God, Jesus said, I'm praying that your faith should not fail. I want you to know you're not alone. See, this is what the devil wants you to think, that you're alone, that you're going through something nobody else is going through, that, that you're being targeted and singled out. Life is hard on you. I've been counseling people for a long time and everybody's problems are all the same and the enemy wants to attack you and make you think, that you got it tougher than somebody else, that you got life harder than somebody else, that nobody understands your problems when the Bible tells us that the same stuff you're going through, other people have already been through. 
And I don't know what your sifting is. I don't know what, what the attack on your life is. I don't know what the tossing you around and throwing you up and violently shaking you. I don't know what loop the devil is trying to catch you in. But I do know this. We all go through sifting. We all go through struggle. We all go through difficulty. Because the enemy wants to mess us up. But we're never alone. See, if you can start thinking in your mind, if the enemy can get you to think that you're alone, then he can make you feel less powerful than God wants you to feel. He can make you feel vulnerable. He can make you feel like you're going to lose. But if you understand that the Lord is praying for me, that my faith don't fail, that should give you a sense of hope. That should give you a sense of empowerment. He says, so when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Strengthen your brothers is what he wants to do, is what he wants Peter to do. But there's something that's got to happen before he can get to the good part. And this is the reality of life. Between every promise and the promised land is a wilderness journey. Between every promise and the good stuff, there's something to go through. Between every blessing coming into your life, you receiving it, you got to go through some trial. You got to go through some tests. And he tells him that you're going to get through this, but you're going to have to do some things first. You're going to have to get sifted. You're going to get shook up. You're going to get thrown for a loop. A lot of people's world got shook up today. A lot of people felt, uh, you know, totally hopeless. I, I saw one commentator say he, 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 he knew a lot of people were fearing breakfast and how they're going to talk to their kids. And that he, he had raised his kids not to be a bully, and he felt like that America just elected the biggest bully on the planet. And you may see it that way. You may not see it that way. That may be your sifting. It may not be your sifting. But you got to realize that whatever you're going through, it's going to shake you. See, because we're all in one of three places. I've told you this for years. You're either in the middle of a storm, you, you just came out of a storm, or you're getting ready to go into a storm. That's the reality. That's why weathermen call for rain every day. They're going to be right eventually. If I stand up here and tell you your trial is coming, I'm going to be right eventually because your trial is coming. And you may be in it right now. But the Lord says that you are going to get sifted, but he's going to be praying for you so that your faith won't fail. Listen, God always answers Jesus' prayer. Don't think because he ain't answered yours that he, he, he turns his back on Jesus. He always answers the Lord's prayer. When Jesus prays that your faith don't fail, you, you got somebody good praying for you. And you got something positive happening in your life. But there is a process, a process. There is a process between your sifting and your usefulness for God. And he said that, I prayed for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, if you want, to get out of the sift box, you have to repent and turn to God. This is the age-old deal. I've been telling you all this forever. Man started off perfectly right with God, naked in the garden with a woman. That was good news for him. All the food was free and everything, everything was working right. But then temptation came, sin came, chastisement came, repentance came, back to right with God. And this is the cycle that humans have been making. 
ever since the Garden of Eden. And when you get in your sifting process and you mess up because you're going to get sifted and you're going to mess up and you realize the Lord is praying for you and you don't give up because you're, not, you're in agreement with the Lord, you don't want your faith to fail, the way to get out of that sift box is not complaining. The way to get out of that sift box is not protesting. The way to get out of that sift box is not doing something to dishonor God. The way to get out of that sift box is not to walk around mad and angry with your emotions on your sleeve. The way to get out of that sift box is to repent and turn back to God. Now, here's what most people are waiting on, the other dude to repent. That's what most people want. Well, she needs to get right. Well, when he comes to me, like he's supposed to, then, then I'll accept that. We condition our level of forgiving people based on what we think is right and wrong. Listen, you need to forgive people quickly and freely because the Bible said the same way you forgive other people is the way God's going to forgive you. You need to walk in mercy. You need to walk in forgiveness. You need to walk in love because the Bible says you reap what you sow. But I know that the sift box is a bad place to be. I know it's a violent place to be. I know it's a tumultuous place to be full of turmoil and, and, and disorder in your life. And the only way to get out of it is to repent and turn to me again. You can't turn to him again if you ain't never turned to him the first time. Okay, so this word is for Christians. There's got to be a going back in the body of Christ. And this is what we need to do. Not just to recover from this election. Not just to recover from what our nation is facing. Not, 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 not just to get through the politics of America. But we need to do this for day-to-day living. And because we love our God more than anything, we need to repent. Now, to repent means to have a change of mind that causes you to change direction. All right, so here's what happens. When you get saved, you start following the Lord. Hallelujah. You're all excited about God. Glory, hallelujah. Everything is perfect. But then you see something over here, and you get to walking in the wrong direction, and then the Lord shows you this ain't right. Might have to do a little spanking. Might have to do a little chastising. And then you decide, I, I see my error I'm going to change my mind about what I'm doing, and I'm going to change the direction I move. And then you walk back toward God. And so the life of the Christian many times looks like a tennis match. You're walking toward God, then you're walking the other way, then you're walking toward God, then you're walking the other way. But the Bible says that godly sorrow works repentance not to be repented of. What does that mean? Too many people repent and repent and repent and repent and repent and repent and repent over the same thing. But the Bible says there is a repentance not to be repented of. Now, some people have a problem with, let's just say, drinking. Drinking ain't no worse than whoremongering. Whoremongering ain't no worse than, than uh, overeating. Overeating's not any worse than being unforgiving. Let's just say somebody had a problem with drinking. And they know they get drunk. They do some things they shouldn't do. And then they ask God to forgive them, and then they turn around, do it again, ask God to forgive them, turn around, do it again. You don't have to be stuck in that cycle. There is a repentance not to be repented of. That means that you can repent and not keep going back to it. And I want you to learn how to get out of your tennis match and put some things behind you. Because a repentance that you have to do all the time, that's just old and tired. And I'm telling you. If my kids come to me with the same, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, that, that wears thin. 
And, I, and I've told my kids, I've told, I've told the people that work for me, I don't want apologies, I want better behavior. Do you hear me? And in a lot of things in your life, God don't want your apology, he wants better behavior. I know what a father wants. A father wants obedience. And God wants us to obey him. Well, to do that, we've got to repent. And see, a lot of people won't repent because that means you've got to admit that you're wrong. And people don't like that. People do not like that. And, and that's why I say, I, I, I think about this election. No matter to me who you voted for, I, I could, I could, they're they two of the dirtiest people I've, I've seen in politics. I, I could say bad stuff about both of them and be telling the truth. I can say, how, you know, how, 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 can, how can he believe that? How can she believe that? But all that is is a distraction. Because if I'm talking about him or if I'm talking about her, guess who I'm not talking about? Me. And the only person i got to answer to God for is me. I'm not going to stand in heaven and answer judgment for Donald Trump. He's got that on his own. i got to stand in heaven and answer judgment for me. So I got to concentrate on me, and I got to learn how to repent of my stuff. I got to learn how to admit when I'm wrong, and I've got to turn back to God. I had a preacher tell me one time he didn't believe that you had to be out there doing dirt to be backslidden. He said that ain't his definition of backslidden. He said a backslider to him is if you've ever been closer to God at any point in your life than you are right now, you've slidden back. And that's real. If there's ever been a place in your life, if there's ever been a time in your life where you were closer to God, more excited about God, more involved in your relationship with God than you are right now, you have slidden back. That's not good. But the good news is God, see, we talk a lot about backsliding in the church. We don't talk enough about front sliding. God allows front sliding. And I want you to learn how to front slide. Backsliding comes easy. You're going to get sifted. You're going to do some stuff you shouldn't do. You're going to mess up. You're going to feel bad about it. you got to repent. But then after you ask God to forgive you, you got to learn how to go back to him. Now, here's what I want you to know. God will not put you through what people put you through. And I'm excited about that. You know, some people are hard, hard, hard to, to get forgiveness from. They're going to try you and make you earn forgiveness back. God says, if you confess your sin to him, he's faithful to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But when you ask God to forgive you, you got to turn back to him. And I wonder if your life was on a scale. And, and this was really strong for God, and this was really not strong for God. Where are you at? See, because I believe anybody who wants to do better needs to be involved in self-examination. You want to lose weight, you need to check your weight all the time so you know how you're doing. You want to get swole, you need, you need to check your gains in the gym so you can know how you're doing. You, need, you want to get spiritually strong, you need to self-evaluate, see how you're doing. You want your relationships to get better with, with the people you care about, you need to, you need to self-check. And I wonder how you're doing spiritually. If you're not more in love with God right now, than you've ever been in your whole life, you need to realize you got room to grow. And if this is the most spiritual you've ever been in your life, you need to hold on because the ride's going to get bumpy. And you need to thank God for every mountaintop experience because the valley is coming. And when you're on the mountaintop, you need to be praising God full force. And when you're in the valley, you need to be holding on to God full force.
But when you find yourself drifting away from the Lord, you need to change your mind, change your direction, and go back to God. Why? Because he's got a plan for you. Say plan. God had a plan for Peter. See, if you talk to Christians about Peter, the thing they remember about Peter is he messed up. He denied the Lord. That wasn't God's ultimate plan for Peter. God's ultimate plan for Peter was part, part of it was that he would be the one that would strengthen the others. Do you know who best can tell you about success? Somebody that failed. People that never been through nothing can't tell you nothing. People that never overcame anything can't minister to you. They, they can't tell you how they got through it. You, you, if you have an issue, you need to find somebody who successfully defeated that issue. If you're struggling with something, you need to get hooked up with somebody who knows how to overcome some things. Peter knew failure. And he knew how to get right with God from failure. And he said, you're going to go through this, but I'm praying for you. And after you repent and turn back to me, I want you to strengthen these other guys. Why, why would they need strength? Because they're going to go through it too. The sift box is, is, is not prejudice. The sift box catches everybody. Verse 33 said, but he said to him. Now they could clarify this by saying, but Simon Peter said to Jesus. They capitalized that H. I thank God for him. Sometimes it help you know who they're talking to. Simon said to Jesus, Lord, I'm ready to go with you. Both to prison and death. I have tried my children's whole life to tell them we don't need to engage in conversation when I'm giving you instruction. When I'm telling you what to do or what you did wrong, we don't need a two-way communication going on right now. You just need to listen to what I'm saying because I know what I'm talking about. When the Lord is talking to you, you don't need to be like Peter. When the Lord is telling you what's going on in your life, you don't need to... Uh, but. You don't need to over-talk. You might over-talk your spouse. You might over-talk your kids. You might over-talk your pastor. But you should never over-talk the Lord. So the Lord is trying to let Peter know what's about to go on. And Peter's like, nah, I don't feel that. I'm, I'm ready. The rest of these soft dudes, maybe. But you don't have to worry about me because I'm straight. He said, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Don't overestimate yourself. The Bible says, take heed when you think you stand, lest you fall. Don't, don't think you, you're better than the sift box. Don't, don't think that nothing can trip you up. Don't, don't get high and mighty. Don't get holier than now. Don't get to looking down your nose at people. Don't get to pointing fingers at people, because that's when you stumble. You need to walk humbly. The Bible says to, to humble yourself so God doesn't have to. He said, no, he's arguing with Jesus. Now, that's a, that's a mistake. One church made famous a saying in the 80s, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. Uh, that was cute, but it wasn't accurate. You don't have to believe what God's saying for it to be settled. God said it, that settles it. Whether you believe it, whether you obey it, whether you agree with it, none of that. God said it, and that's it. Peter's trying to overtalk the Lord and, and, and let the Lord know where he's wrong. God is never wrong. Instead of over-talking God, Peter should have been humbly listening to the Lord. And maybe he would have had a different road to go. In verse 34, Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster should not crow this day before you deny me three times that you know me. That was a familiar expression in the first century. Before the rooster crows three times. 
It didn't necessarily mean the clock. It's like somebody who says, man, I ain't ate there in a minute. Are they talking in the 60-second interval? No. They don't mean a minute. They, they, it's, just, it's, it's an expression. Now, a lot of people think it signified daybreak because roosters crow in the day. He's, he's letting Peter know that in this day, in, in, in any minute, in, it ain't going to be more than a minute that you're going to deny three times that you even know me. In Peter's mind, wasn't going to happen because he really did love the Lord. And he really was sold out to the Lord. And he really was stronger in personal willpower than most of these other disciples. And he was closer to Jesus than most of these other disciples. This is the facts. But he overestimated himself. And he thought, that can't happen to me. Let me tell you something. When you start thinking things can't happen to you, that's when they're going to happen to you. And you need to watch out for you. See, I think we pay attention to too many other people, and the devil wants to distract us and keep us messed up with criticizing other people. Putting our eyes on other people's sins and waiting on them to get right. We need to be concerned with our own self because Jesus told Peter, you're going to deny three times that you even know me. What am I wanting you to get out of this? It's possible for you to do stuff you wouldn't expect yourself to do. But Jesus already knew it. I heard a pastor, apostle, doctor saying today on the internet that he was saying all kinds of stuff. He, he was saying that he was telling his church they need to all get to Bible study tonight because with, 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 this, with this Donald Trump being elected, the stock market is crashing and your 401k is gone and your investments are gone and your retirement is gone. That's why I put on Facebook that the stock market hit almost all-time highs today. The stock market went up over 300 points, closed up 256. That's good news for investors. That's a huge jump in the stock market. This dude's on there telling people that their 401k was gone and that everything had fallen to the floor and that God was not pleased with the result of this election. He was acting as if God was surprised. I told you all last week, God's not sitting up in heaven wondering who's going to win. And just like I've been telling you all for eight years, uh, all the people who say that uh, President Obama was not their president, Barack Obama was the president of the United States for eight years because God wanted him to be the president of the United States. Okay, now that's common sense. The Bible says all authority is given by God. Now, that's easy for a certain segment of the population to, to believe in, and, and, and they can amen the pastor when he says that. But then you got to flip that coin over on the other side and say, okay, well, then, then, then why did God let Donald Trump win? And I heard this pastor going on this long, long discussion about how, you know, God sent us President Obama, but the devil sent us Donald Trump. The Bible says that all powers that be rule by God's decree. And we don't have to understand everything that's going on, but I can tell you this, God has a plan for what he's doing. Now, I was talking to my sister today. It may very well be to plunge America into the worst time in American life and just to unwind the whole world and the income. If that's what it's got to be, then that's what it's got to be. 
but I know that it's God's plan after it happens. So I don't know what's going to happen to you today, tonight, but whatever happened to you today, I know God had that already planned out because nothing takes God by surprise. That's why he's able to say all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who called according to his purpose. Now, you wonder, how, how can this be good? Some of y'all are rejoicing. Some of y'all wondering how this could be good. I want you to realize that God knows what he's doing. And if you learn to trust him, you're not going to freak out over what your sift box does to you. Peter didn't think this could happen to him because he thought he was solid on his feet. I, I think that America was shocked beyond belief at 2.30 this morning. I, I was stunned. I, I told people. I, I thought Hillary was going to win a landslide. I, I was surprised. I was sitting there with Ethan on the couch, and I'm like, I don't think I've ever been more shocked in my life. Um, I, I, I was shocked. But God wasn't shocked. Well, when we don't understand things and we don't agree with things, should we question God? The Bible says that the thing formed should not question the thing that formed it. Why is it like this? The poet said ours is not the reason why. Ours is but to do or die. There's something America's got to learn. There's something America's got to go through. God's got a plan. Well, is it going to turn out good or bad for us? I don't know. But I know God knows. And that's enough for me. I don't really. I, if, I, if you drove me, to, if you got in my, in my navigator tonight, and I took you home. I probably wouldn't be able to tell you where you live tomorrow. Not because I'm stupid. But because I know you know where you live. I'm not paying attention. I'm, I'm, in, I'm fellowshipping with you. You're going to tell me when to turn? I don't have to know. You know. As long as I got you with me, I feel confident you can get me to your house. From a place you, from here to there. I know God knows. I know God knows what he's doing. And I know that when strange things happen and when things shake you, the Lord is praying for you. And you need to cooperate with the Lord and not let your faith fail. You say, Pastor, you, are you shook up over this thing? No, I was surprised by the outcome, but it, I'm not shook up by it because I know God has a plan. And I know that God knows what he's doing. And I know that we need to focus on that. We need to trust God to get us home. Are you trusting the Lord? Are you complaining? Are you arguing? Are you fighting? Don't get caught up with these fools on the Internet. You are not going to convince somebody that they're wrong on the Internet. These are professional arguers. These are determined fools on the Internet. These, these, are, these are people that, you, that don't speak logic. These, these, are, these are career fools, and they're just there to argue with you. And you, you get caught up trying to, trying to teach them something, you, you're just going to realize that the Bible was right. When God said, if a wise man argues with a fool, there's no rest. There's no peace. So we don't need to argue with each other over stuff we don't understand. We don't need to argue over stuff that surprises us. We just need to realize God knows what he's doing. It may feel like a sifting. And may, maybe you're just as thrilled to death as you can be. You've you got a sifting process too. 
And when that happens, you need to know that the Lord is praying for you. Because he doesn't want your faith to fail. I've watched too many people give up on God. In 30 plus years of doing this, I've seen people give up. And you don't know how close you are to your breakthrough. You don't know how close you are to your miracle. Because if you did, you wouldn't give up. I've seen God heal people from deadly diseases. I've seen God heal marriages from, from past divorce to back to perfect. I've seen God deliver people from drugs and from alcohol. I've seen people in their struggle give up and just give in to their temptation. And that's not God's will for your life. See, the expression that the church uses is let go and let God. Well, too many people are letting go and giving in. Don't give up on your faith. Understand God knows what he's doing. Hold on to the Lord in the middle of your crisis time. Hold on to the Lord in the middle of your difficulty. Hold on to the Lord when things don't make sense to you. Because it didn't make sense to Peter. Why the Lord? You, you going to call me out by my name twice, act like you're loving me, and then tell me I'm going to be the one to, to, to betray you and to deny you? I'm the strongest dude in the room. Didn't make sense to him. But Jesus was right. And we have this story for our example so we can learn from it. When you mess up, repent, turn back to God. Because the Bible says that God wants you to be able to comfort others with the same comfort that you were comforted with. That's the whole reason we go through trials. Nobody can talk to anybody about losing a wife to cancer better than I can. Because I've been there. That's why you hear me say, I'm, I'm not telling you what I heard. You ought to catch the, the rest of that. I'm telling you what I know. There's a difference between talking about stuff and having lived through stuff. The person who's been through stuff can really tell you about it. See, Peter was the strongest dude in the room, but he failed horribly. But God recovered him and used him greatly. And he's one of the 39 people that God used to author some of this book we call the Bible. Your failure does not prevent you from glorifying God. Your failure does not prevent you from being greatly used by God. Your failure does not rule you out as a champion for God. The devil wants you to think that way. The devil wants you to believe that way. People want you to believe that way. People want to push you down and say, you failed, you did that, you can never, you know, be whatever. But that's not how God operates. God gives us room for a comeback. See, every bad thing in life is just a setup. It's a setup for your comeback. And whatever you're going through in life, I want you to know God's already got it figured out. And there is a way for you to come back from it. And I want you to hold on to your faith and let God show you that way. He's praying for you. We need to be praying for each other. I believe God cares about this country. Not because I think America's better than every other country, but because I believe God cares about every country. All those countries on the flags back there, all those countries on that map. I believe God cares about all of them. It's not hard for me if somebody said, Pastor, uh, do you think America is God's favorite? No. He already said, Israel is his favorite. I mean, don't argue with, with the father. when he, If he comes out on, on, on point and says who his favorite child is, you don't have to try to convince him anything different. He already said it. 
but he cares about all these countries. So I know he cares about America. He's got a plan for everybody, so I know he cares about you. You just got to get in agreement with God and hold on to him while he's holding on to you. Let's pray. God, thank you for this word. Thank you for giving us your Bible. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would help us in our sifting process, Lord, to realize that you're on our side and you know what you're doing. Our confession, God, is that your way is right. Our confession is that we trust you. Our confession is that we believe you know more than we know. And our confession is that we trust everything that you have for us. And we ask you, Lord, to let your will be done in our life, even as it's done in heaven. Help us, God, to walk humbly. Help us, God, to serve you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast. And visit us on the web at AOCFnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to AOCFnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people.